If you're a cannabis business owner looking to expand into new markets and need guidance and support you can trust, consider Collateral Base, a group that has done it before in multiple merit-based and limited market states. Collateral Base was founded by an experienced cannabis attorney with highly educated consultants with master's degrees and years of experience in the cannabis industry. The Collateral Base team is confident they know cannabis licensing better than any of their peers. And I encourage you to see for yourself. It just takes one phone call. If you're ready to expand your cannabis business into new limited markets, contact Collateral Base today at 309-306-1095. That's 309-306-1095. Or visit collateralbase.com. Hey, music lovers. The Cannamom Show podcast, in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars, is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at LampkinGuitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. Welcome. You're listening to Casually Baked, the podcast. Home base for the can of curious. Thanks for tuning in. It's hot time. We had a hot time. Together. Together. Yes, it's hot time. We had a hot time. Nate, thank you so much for having me here at the facility and giving me a grand tour. I took some really shitty video that's going to be on YouTube. (laughs) You know, I'm a journalist. I'm not a videographer, but I did the best I can. So thank you for the tour. And I'm glad we get to sit down and chat about the state of cannabis in Colorado. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So to just set the stage and introduce you to the Casually Baked audience, just tell me a little bit about your roots and and what brought you to this point. Uh, I'm from North Carolina originally. Uh, I grew up on, uh, I guess it's not a dairy farm. It's like we used to raise black Angus cattle. And so I just grew up uh, growing our own vegetables and raising our own animals. And my parents were young when I was born and so from like my like I was eight until I was like 15 I lived with my grandparents and so my grandfather was disabled he was a veteran and but he had like three acres that he grew vegetables on and so every year that was pretty much what I did was I was his helper cut all the firewood and you know hoe the garden and pick all the vegetables and do all those things and then I ended up uh after I graduated high school I just needed as I don't know if it's like this in Texas but you know where I'm from everybody got married right out of high school and had kids like I got friends now that are my age I'm 42 and they got like grandkids that are like five six years old and it's like 
<laughs> Jesus Christ, my daughter's only four. Like, so, um, so anyway, you know, I just needed to get out of there because I just felt like I was going to get trapped there if I stayed there. And I was growing a little bit of weed, like in the woods and, you know, shit plants. You know, they tell you go outside and pee on it. It'll make it really good, you know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so I, that never really worked out that well. So I ended up going to school. I applied to a bunch of schools and then I found a school in upstate New York in the Adirondacks called Paul Smith College. And uh, I went there for horticulture and environmental science. Uh, I never finished my degree uh, there. I went there for like two years. And then so uh, where I lived was two hours from Montreal. We lived in Lake Placid. So like the, the you know, hockey. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's nice. Um, so we used to go up there every weekend and party because you can drink when you're 18. And they had after hours clubs. And we'd go rave and eat ecstasy. You know, all the things you did when you were like 18 years old. Um, and so I ended up dating a girl there. And then I finally just was like, you know, I'm just going to move there. So I had a friend of mine who's half Canadian, half American. And I was like, hey, if I gave you $500, would you drive my U-Haul across the Canadian border for me? And, and I, I said, all you got to do is... I'll get let you drive from Plattsburgh, which is 10 miles from the border. And then as soon as we get over the border, you can just get out and I'll drive the truck the rest of the way. And that's what we did. And then I lived there for eight years. I lived there illegally for like the first two years. And then I ended up going to Concordia University. It's one of the other – there's two English schools there. There's McGill, which is like the Harvard of Canada. And then uh, Concordia, where all the you know the losers go. Um, <laughs> not really, but um, – <clears throat> so I ended up just going to school there to maintain a visa – Okay, so you get yourself to Canada, and is it with the intention of growing or just, I want to be with this girl? It was a couple of different things. Um, so whenever I first started going there, I met this chick in Montreal at the time. She had a weed delivery service. And so she'd call the guy, and he'd come by and sell us weed, and we'd go party. And so I ended up kind of becoming friends with the guy who owned it. Like, you know, I was, hey, man, I want to buy a quarter pound. Hey, man, I want to buy a pound. And so I would take it back to New York and sell it to school. And so I ended up going there, and he sold me his business. Like, we became such good friends that he sold me his delivery service business. And so I... I ended up renting three houses, and we had 65 lights, and I had, like, four kids running it for me. And so we grew our own weed, and we sold our own weed. And, and so it's the, the service was a referral only. We ran from 6 at night to 11 p.m. If you wanted mushrooms, you had to order them the day before. And the only way you could ever get on the list is if, say, you had the – you got the service and I wanted to get it, then I could come to your house and I had to meet the guy and you were the point of reference. And so then if anything were to happen, then you were the one they came back to. And so, and, but nothing ever was like it's bad. A good system. It is, it works. It makes, it keeps everybody honest. And so I did that for a while and then I kind of got into a lot of other things that are extracurricular outside of marijuana. But yeah, I grew, I've grown weed since, uh, since 2001. Okay, so from Montreal, you made the move to Colorado, correct? Yeah, so I lived there for eight years. I ran into a little trouble, and then um, I was asked to leave, and uh, I, I'm not allowed to go back. And uh, and so I'm instead of moving to North Carolina, because I was like, I don't want to move back there, because I'm going to be fucked. My old roommate in college and one of my best friends from college, they used to come and see me, and I would sell them sheets of acid and vials of acid and, and weed and whatever they came up and wanted, I could get it. Um, and so they would drive from Colorado to Montreal and then drive back. And so they made it worth their while. But anyway, so we, you know, obviously maintained those relationships through the time I was out of the country. And then when I came back, I, uh, I pretty much was like, hey, guys, can I come live with you? Like, because I don't want to go live in North Carolina. So I went to North Carolina for two weeks, and then I um, drove out here. And I've been here since 2008, September or October. 
And when was legalization here in Colorado? Uh, it, we voted on it in 2011. It was Prop 64, and it went legal, uh, I think it was January 1st. I thought California, ours was Prop 64. Was it? I mean, can they both be Prop 64? I'm pretty sure it was Prop 64. I have, like, the pins at home. I kept yeah, all the shit. Yeah, I have a bunch. Of, me too. Yeah. Well, because I figure it's going to be worth something someday, or at least people will think it's cool. Yeah, um, let, that we were a part of it. Right, yeah. right. So cause nostalgic. I would, yeah, so I came out here, and I worked in a couple of restaurants, and I don't really enjoy that. And uh, so I ended up meeting Joe Barnes, and, uh, I, well, we were growing weed, and that was the only grow store. And so we used to go to the grow store all the time. And then I, you know, I'd, I've never been one to, like, just want to grow weed and not have a job. So I was like, hey, man, you want somebody to work for you? And so I, I came to work for Joe, and I ran the store here. And then I worked for him. I think I worked for Joe for probably like six or seven years. I ended up being the national retail director. We grew from being Rocky Mountain Hydroponics, which are three stores in Colorado. We got bought out by a company called Grow Life. And so they had stores in Mass. They had some in Maine. They had some in California. And I don't really think that company exists in the way it existed before now because, you know, uh, I would say probably around 2015, 2016, I feel like the grow store industry took a shit because – people realized you know everybody stopped growing personally like i i used to i used to know 20 or 30 people here that grew with their houses i don't know anybody that grows at home i'm the only person i know that grows anymore interesting that's why that. and that's where the grow store business fell off because everybody stopped growing because they can go to the store and yeah. so that's sort of you know i guess legalization in the intended way it's supposed to work did work but i feel like and at the same time it's totally fucked the whole market just because it's I feel like if the government, which never gives you anything it didn't take away first, you know, it should just be decriminalized. I don't need it to be legalized so that you can tax me. Like, I think I should be able just to maintain plants at a house. You know, obviously, if I've got like a thousand, that's not necessarily just for me. But like, I shouldn't have to have or be worried about having a license to cultivate plants so I can, you know, just get by for myself. But but that's just kind of the nature of the beast. Yeah, I agree with you. And I am curious what the state of cannabis is in Colorado. I'm so disenchanted with it everywhere else. I mean, it definitely couldn't support me in California. And I, you know, seeing so many of my farmer friends just stressed to the max, barely able to squeak by. The tax rates are just so out of control. There's no margin and people questioning, why the fuck did I get into this? Right. And they, most of them, I feel like in California, I have... Uh, well, I have one friend that's still illegally. He does solvent. It's called Shackow Solventless. Solventless. He's in uh, McKinleyville. Uh, I've, I've, I used to go out there and help him. Which out. part of the state is McKinleyville? Uh, it's north of Arcata. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah, uh, Humboldt County. Um, I think that's Humboldt County. Arcata Humboldt. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I used to go out there and see him when I first moved here. I would go out and help him in the summer sometimes. But uh, I just feel like here in Colorado, and I'm sure it's like. We get charged, so by the 20th of every month, we have to pay a 15% SX tax on everything we sell. But it's a little weird because of the basic, the, you know, I have a, my sister grow in Denver, my business partner owns another grow. Um, basically, we send all our weed to them, and if you send, so a 403R in Colorado is a recreational grow, that's the number they give. 402 is like a solventless producer, 406 is a delivery service. Got it. You know. So anyway, 403 to 403, so if you're sending it from a grow to a grow, I don't have to pay taxes on that. They pay the tax when they sell it, But it's, which is kind of funny because every month I go on to a website for the county and the state and I have to file a tax, and all I say is I sold zero 
pounds. But in reality, I sent 60 pounds down the hill, you know. So I don't really understand how that works. I feel like it's a little bit skewed. And very, they probably don't understand how it works either. It's a gray area for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it's just I, I, here in Colorado, there's a lot of consolidation. Um, so, so when COVID do you want me to tell you the whole story? Yeah, I do. Okay. So the four years leading up to 2020, Colorado sold out of weed by August. So there was no indoor weed to buy. The prices go through the roof. Like, you know, uh, you usually about April, May, you probably see the price jump. And then May, June, it's going to jump again. And then June, July, it's really going to jump. And then by then, if you, you know, everybody's like, oh, I don't have any more weed. You know, we're waiting on this crop. But then if you're waiting too long, back in the day, croptober would hit and the outdoor would come down and it totally fucked the price. Because in California, and correct me if I'm wrong, but don't they have like a bit of a tiered system in terms of like the price and how it's sold? Because here in Colorado, there's none of that. Like if... Well, honestly, if you go into a dispensary in California, you're going to see lower prices on full-term sun-grown cannabis than you are on stuff that's indoor because the perception of value is that... Well, that and you don't have to use all the inputs that you do indoor. Well... It doesn't make the value of the Lesser. cannabis less. I agree. I agree. But I, but I find here that there's no middle ground. It's not like, oh, outdoors less. People just think, oh, well, I can get this for 600 And it's like, well, what is it? You know, they can just say, oh, I can get some outdoor for 600 You want to sell me this indoor for 1000 It's like apples and oranges. I agree. And the other thing is that they are more welcoming of just mids. Because they, it's easy. there's a more profit margin, mm-hmm. yeah. and that they know that that's a price point that somebody who doesn't know shit about cannabis, like that's the price point they're going to go to, and they don't know what Epic Bud looks like. Right, because most of the time here with dispensaries, you sell them flour, and it sits in a safe for six months until they have room on their shelves or they've worked through what they're going to replace it with, and so by the time it gets out to the customer. It's usually oxidized. They don't store it correctly. It's brown, you know, and like, so people, you're right. People don't know what they're, what they're getting or what is good or bad because they don't get to see a fresh product. They just see, oh, well, they offer this, so that must be good. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's a standard that I'm seeing. Or what's on sale. <clears throat> exactly. Because, again, the taxes are so high. If you do want to quit flour, and so you go into the dispensary and you're like, oh, I'm going to look at this drinkable well, a canned beverage is like $9, and there's maybe 10 milligrams of THC in it. And you're like, okay, I'm going to have to crush a six-pack of these. Like, this yeah. doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, it makes sense if you have a med card. If you're here in Colorado, you can have a medical license. Okay, so tell me what the difference in price is for a, a rec buy versus a med buy. In uh, for rec, it's tax 30%, and uh, med is 3%. And they're trying to phase out the med. They want to get rid of it. Oh, shit. 3%. That's amazing. And so, and also here at recreational, each package can't be above 100 milligrams. Right. So, but at the med shop, they can be whatever you want. There's this company I'm trying to get in with, uh, the kid Morgan that works for me. He gave me this bottle. It's like a quart bottle, and it's from this company called High Grade in Denver, and they make syrups. And it's a 10,000 milligram bottle. Apparently, it's a special run because I've reached out to them. I looked up their 404R. I was, like, trying to get in touch with them, and and I've called them, and they just – I don't understand people that don't want to sell their product because they're like, okay, well, we don't make any of the five and 10,000 right now, but we have 500, 1,000, and 2,000. I was like, great. Can I get a couple cases of 2,000? 
And they just never replied to me. And I'm like, they're like, yeah, find us a med shop. And I found a med shop. And I was like, okay, cool. Send it there. And they, they just don't reply. And it's like, do you want to sell that shit or not? Like, I don't get it. Yeah. And I personally, like we discussed earlier, I have a really high tolerance. So I'm, I'm always looking for a thousand milligram package because I'm like, oh, that's going to last me 10 to 14 days, you know, whereas, you know, a hundred milligrams, I'm going to eat that in a minute, you know? So. Yeah. A lot of people would be flat out for a few days <laughs> if they did that. <laughs> um, my best friend and I, she's a formulation scientist and I brought her over from big pharma into cannabis. And when we would get together, um, she's now in LA. So we're separated but when we would get together, we would just play in the kitchen and make stuff. And there was once we made some super strong Manuka honey. She had some concentrate that she was working with. Um, actually, it was resin from some Papa and Barkley thing that she had been working on. And so then we just mixed that with a little bit of Manuka honey and made this super strong shit. Because we were looking at, like, how, do you, how does that work on your skin or whatever? But then we are like, well, let's just eat some right because because i mean you do your you know your skin is your largest organ on your body so but at the same time i find that uh, i feel like i'm wasting those creams well yes but whenever you have um like my sister-in-law at the time she had breast cancer and so she had like an open wound and as that was healing i sent her some of this to put on as a what do they call that when you like a sap? Yeah, but they call it something. A, like a, like when you make a pulpus out of oh, like okay. tobacco or whatever. And then, you like, and you, and then put you it on. It, it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like with the onions in your feet. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Oh, okay. Anyway, go ahead. Um, it's a stinky experiment, but yeah. Anyway, so we were just testing stuff like that. But then, yeah, ate some of that. Bitter as hell, but um, so potent. Interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to talk to her because I'm, I'm always looking for... I I personally I don't like eating edibles because I hate eating candy, so I don't really enjoy like the the ritual of having to eat you know like candy. Yeah. And so I'm always looking for like the syrup is great or you know, something that's super easy like I don't mm -hmm. have to like masticate it you know it's um, like a powder would be great but I don't nobody make a powder it's a thousand milligrams you know what I mean like yeah so be interesting to find out. Well, she's originally from New Mexico and is launching a brand there with her technology. So. Interesting. They were actually working on the soft launch right now. So I will find out and we'll let talk you about know. It later. Sure. So, yes, I want to know what happened. Oh, so we got here distracted. for, yes, yeah. of course, but that's Sorry. cool. So, COVID happens, and then what happened yeah, so to the four, the four years leading up to cannabis until 2020, uh, the weed market was cleaned out by the end of the summer. And then when 2020 hit, and let's call it the lockdown instead the of lockdown. COVID. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you mean the flu. Uh, so basically whenever all that lockdown happened, it's funny because I never stopped working. I've, my wife didn't work for a year. And I, I just find it funny because people are like, yeah, it was like the greatest vacation of my life. And I was like, I never stopped coming to work. Like we never didn't come here. You know, everybody I was, never stopped working, but I stopped <clears throat> getting paid. <laughs> yeah. Well, we would. I mean, it was so ghost town here. We would just work with the front and back door open. And be nobody, like nobody. You wouldn't see a car on the interstate. It was the wildest time of my life. Really, just interesting to see because you know, we live in a resort town, so there's people here all the time. Uh, but anyway, the moral of the story is 2020 hit. Everybody got the checks, and they were out of work. And so every, that was the biggest year that cannabis has ever had in, in Colorado. So they sold out by, like, June. Like, wow. it was, like, two, three months early. And so anyway. So the, then what hap when that happens, what's okay. in the dispensaries? 
what's in the dispensaries? Yeah, if you're none the, of if, us ever stopped working. If you worked in the cannabis industry, you didn't. No, stop. No, but I'm saying if weed sold out by June, you're well, saying well, there's they got they got okay. Mids. So yeah, it's not all weed, but like the good weed, the weed that you're trying to sell for high dollar. Okay. So, I mean, there's definitely some outdoor. They got shit from back in the day. You know, they got old weed they're selling. They had some vintage shit they yeah, yeah, some Yeah, some two, three-year-old vintage that's brown. So, anyway, that summer after that happened, everybody bought more licenses. Like, that was – so, to give you an idea, I took my mom room and I turned it into a flower room. And so, when that happened, the next spring, the price started going up. Everybody was – I was selling pounds for $2,000 in May. And I was like, this is amazing. And then by June, uh, the price bottomed out. All the weed hit the market. And then um, it's just been for two years, it was really, really tough. And then the beginning of 20, oh, wait. Well, what does the price bottoming out in Colorado look like? I know what that $300 looks- a pound. Okay, two hundred, yeah, three hundred dollars a pound. That's California bottoming out yeah. too. <laughs> okay. um, and, so, and so when that happened, uh, everybody started going out of business. So the legacy technology, the double-ended hood, single bulb sort of thing. Um, and so basically what happens is that when those people are going out of business, they're selling for liquidation. So they don't care what they're getting for it because they're just trying to get out of it. And so that continuously tanked the market for the last three years. And so last year, um, 50% of all grows in Colorado closed. And so there's still a lot going out of business this year. I mean, obviously, 2022 was a year ago at this point now. But, um, but yeah, it's still kind of happening. And that's why the market's sitting somewhere between like 600 and 1,000. It depends on who you are and who you're selling to. It's all really about your market and who's buying your product. Like if you if you don't have something set up, like my business partner, a lot of these strains are sold exclusives. Like to the Grape Star is the Starbud exclusive. Like it doesn't go to anybody else. So anyway, yeah, if you kind of aren't doing that, then you're struggling probably. Talking about you have to know your market, you have to have the supply chain figured out. What have you found to be your niche that helps you stay in the game? Man, I don't know that I really have a niche, to be honest. I guess it's just the fact that we grow a really high-quality product. I, I mean, honestly, my business partner has really kind of kept us in the game. You know, obviously, he has a lot riding on the grow down there, has a lot riding on the grow here. And so we just have really kind of come together quite a bit. And we help each other in terms of like selling our product. And there's not a lot of overlap between our grows. So then that way, when I send my flower down there, it's not competing with the flower they're growing. And Well, and I think the thing I find interesting is that you're focused on just a few cultivars here. Yeah, we only grow four right now currently. And, and so what about your partner? Uh, I don't know. Their grow is 13,000 square foot. I think they have. I, th- I don't think they grow that many strains. They might have 10, maybe 8. I think the name of the game is Focus. Yeah. And that's what I'm finding you in have, my own life. Yeah, if you have things that people want, then just do those well. And I think as long as you have that market and you can cultivate people to buy from you, I think you're going to be good. And so it's kind of turned around for us in the last six months. The prices have gotten a lot better and things are starting to you know prices are going up and we're growing a lot more flour which is really volume is kind of the name of the game in this industry now because there's a ton of consolidation like all these places that went out of business people are buying those licenses yeah but who's buying those licenses the multi-state uh, the big, operators yeah mso's yeah for yeah. sure because i actually looked because north carolina has twice has voted on going medical and i was i had a friend that worked in raleigh and we were trying to get in and the last time they did it, they basically said, nope, we're only going to allow 10 licenses. We want multi-state operators. you got to have $2 million in escrow, have the building or the property set up. And do they do the vertical licensing? 
yeah, this is Texas, Florida. Because yeah. that's the thing up. is, Colorado, it'll never be like Colorado again. Because there's just the way that the licenses are given out, the way you can buy one. It's not exclusive. There's no barriers to entry as long as you have the money and you have a place to do it and you can hang the license on the wall, then they'll sell you one. But they don't care how well you do as long as you're paying your taxes. Yeah. yeah. But that's just like the government in any world. Yeah. Do y'all have any issues with areas not having access to dispensaries? Because that is still one of the main problems in California. I believe like 70% of the population still doesn't have direct access to really? a dispensary because there's so many that they don't allow them in municipalities because these, the towns, yeah. you know, get to decide what happens. So yes, in Colorado, it's uh, based on the county. County can make the decision and the counties defer to the municipalities, like you're saying. So here in Eagle County, we're only allowed to have a grow in unincorporated Eagle County. So there's Vail, there's Avon and Eagle and Gypsum. And those four towns are incorporated, so you can't... Eagle lets you have them there because it's the county seat. But we're in in an area... This is considered Avon, but it's unincorporated because this town, this little place over here, the neighborhood I live in, is called Eagle Vale. Your facility has to be in an unincorporated area. Yes. Do the dispensaries also have to be in an unincorporated area? Yes. And so there's another town called Edwards, and it's unincorporated as well, and they have dispensaries. But yeah, where we're at, it's called the Green Mile. Because this is pretty much the largest place. There's six dispensaries on this street, and I'm the only, I'm the only wholesale rec grow that's not attached to a license to a storefront. So there is a grow in Eagle called Sweetleaf, but I don't think you want to go there. Do you have to do any kind of marketing at all? No. That's amazing. I know because, like I said earlier, like I'm not much of a grower anymore. I'm more of a uh, a contractor or building maintenance guy. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so basically that's kind of, it's been really nice for my business partner. He kind of took the sales aspect off of me. Cause you know, during COVID it was just like or lockdowns, like because it, just people dropped off. Like I used to have all kinds of middlemen I sold through. I don't even know where they're at now. They don't even do it anymore. So it's, it's really interesting to see how the market's changed in three years. So it's, it's been a number of years since I've spent time in Colorado. And so I haven't even been to it, been here a couple of weeks, but I had my own weed. So I haven't even been to a dispensary yet. So it's probably for the best because usually the weed that you buy at the dispensary is garbage. <laughs> and I'm not trying to be mean. I mean, there's a couple of good ones in Denver. The clinic's really good. Uh, I think Starbuds does a good job. Green Dragon does a good job. They have some top shelf, they have their connoisseur shelf, but you're going to pay for it. Oh, speaking of connoisseur, um, is there a cultivar that you're familiar with called Golden Goat? Yeah. Okay, where can I get some Golden Goat? Uh, I might have some for you. Okay, sweet. Why? Because, oh, there's... It's, it's, do you like anxiety? It's not for me. <laughs> okay. But that's, yes, that's sativa hybrid. It can give, make me a little anxious. I have to microdose that like crazy. But this is yeah. a favorite of... Yeah, I, I think I might have some. I can see. We'll see. We'll hook you up. <laughs> we'll get you something. But yeah, it's funny that you say I used to grow it. It's a decent strain. It's old, old Colorado classic. So. Well, and I think that's what people are nostalgic for. Uh, you know what I'm nostalgic for? I want to go back to growing like Red Rooster, Northern Lights number five, Northern Lights number seven. Like I, I wish I could get the strains I used to grow in Canada. Cause I, I mean, I'd love to see what they do now with like new LEDs with like a, like a more streamlined, efficient nutrient program. Like, you know, back in the day I wasn't as uh focused as we like to say in this podcast um (laughs) as i am today you know i was 20 years old and doing my thing so so your entire life besides like doing a little gorilla grow outdoors in north carolina you've just been an indoor guy 
Yeah. I mean, I've done help out in California, but I'd never, I wouldn't say I grew plants outside. I'd love to, but um, I've have grown plants on my porch and I have a, I have two six by eight garden beds at my house. And a couple of years ago I had a clone and I just stuck it in there and see if it would live. And it lived. And I ended up getting a, not a lot of weed, but it was like a, it was probably three feet tall in the middle of my garlic patch. And then when I pulled my garlic, everybody was like, what's that? <laughs> you know, so that's fun. Well, you know, it's like you have to find something that flowers early. Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful part about here is that uh, the time, like, it's funny. So it's, the weather's been really nice this fall, and we have this big poppy that grows out front. And uh, it actually flowered again two weeks ago before it snowed because the time cycle, you know, gets to, you know, you get less than 12 hours of sunlight and everything wants to flower again, yeah. especially if the weather's nice. So it's just interesting here because you can – Basically, I put my, I mean, I put them out early and then they get the 12 12 den and they kind of like stall for a little bit when the day gets to 14 hours. And then by like, you know, the end of July, 1st of August, it starts getting back down and then they'll, they go pretty hard. But here, if, you know, unfortunately in Colorado, where we live, because we're at 8,000 feet, by September 1st, you can have winter can be here, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you can go. Do- it is an auto flower if somebody wanted to grow outside here. Is yeah. auto flower the so, best move? Funny enough, if you look down there beside you, there's like a bunch of Ziploc bags full of seeds. We were actually, me and one of my old employees, he lives in Grand Junction, his name's Stephen Daly. He's the one that has the podcast I was telling you about. So we did some breeding experiments and we crossed like a purple punch that finishes in 49 days. And I can't remember, we used a couple other earlier finishers and then I had him get by some auto flower seeds. And so we made a bunch of seeds. And so we're. I, have, I stopped doing this because he doesn't live here anymore and we don't, I don't really have the time. But, so when I told you I'm a long-distance runner, I would used to take – we'd go out into the wilderness and I would take bags full of these seeds. And we'd just be out there along a river bank, along the streams, the creeks, and just seeding them because we, we really want to try to bring about an indigenous strain in Colorado that's actually THC, not just hemp. And uh, so we're trying, I'm trying to do some stuff like that. But well, that's fun. I like that. And, yeah. of course, I was telling you I'm looking for – just that wild hemp that's I've heard well, growing in Kansas hemp. and Oklahoma. I know, but yeah. it's that same concept of somebody just like walking up and be like, holy shit, there's yeah. just weed growing out yeah. in the wild. But I haven't, I've gone back out and we found some little plants, but I've never seen anything finish. Cause I mean, usually we're, it's called sky running. So we run above 10,000 feet a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, nothing really grows above tree line. I just walk around that little lake and I'm winded. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> it's just because you're at like 7,500 feet. You know, so it's a quite a difference from California, I imagine. Yeah. Well, and then me just coming from Texas even. And it's so dry here too. So I imagine that probably bothers yeah, you Yeah, my bit. skin. I, you got to put lotion on every day. I look like a lizard. I am like slathering. I use beef tallow lotion that my oh. sister makes. And I told her, I was like, sister, I am slathering beef all over my face. <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah. My, uh, you know, there's this company I get advertisements for. It's called the Van Man or Van Can, and they sell a bunch of products that are like beef tallow and like a certain type of like uh, toothpaste that's made out of some animal byproduct, and mm-hmm. it's all natural stuff. And they're yeah. always like talking shit on like sunscreen and all that. Well, the thing that I learned that if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin. So uh, you turn over the back of a lotion container and you're like what oh, that, are all oh, of these things yeah. like would i just turn this bottle up and drink it no would i eat beef tallow yeah i cook yeah. things in it all the time right right so 
Yeah. Hmm, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. My my wife has always tried to do her skin and make herself look nice. And I told her, I said, like, you should get some of that beef towel and see if it works. So that's it good does. to hear that, you, yeah. that you're doing it. So. Yeah, I mean, my sister goes to the meat market and buys tallow and then brings it home. And you cook it down, filter it out, and then... Clarify it. And then, yeah. yeah, do it one more time. And then she adds a few essential oils and wow. a couple other things. And, yeah. <laughs> Well, one of my, a couple of my best friends that live here are executive chefs, and so I, I have access to some stuff like that, but yeah. Um, is one of them Joe's friend that has the rose? Oh, yeah, Brian. Yeah, Brian Redis. I Yeah, I whenever we were going to be doing a bunch of videos for that group, I he was going to get to... Yeah, I was going to get to talk to him and interview him in this kitchen. Yeah, Brian is... Uh, Brian, they make some... I don't. I don't even know how much goes into them, but they make some really nice chocolate bars. Well, and he's infused. Yeah, but not with oh. cannabis. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I figured that's the kitchen you were going to mm-hmm. go see. But yeah, so well, he, both kitchens, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so he has one that he does that in, and then they have the restaurant kitchen that's in the restaurant. And what town is the restaurant in? In Edwards. Okay. It's it's only like six miles from here. It's on this road, Highway Six. Just keep going west. I may have to go. Um, have dinner there before I leave town. Well, that's why I was saying, I, if you want some recommendations, I can give you some good places to go eat and call in some favors. But hey, you know. Well, that one particularly I wanted to go to because, you know, they do the whole farm to table. They're yeah. supporting the local Yeah, um, Brian, farmers. Brian's a great dude. Brian's a really good friend of mine. So, yeah. yeah. Right on. Do you want to talk about lighting choices or sure, do you want Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about it. I, I mean, I've used all... I think all the lights that were ever available. I mean, we started with a vented hood with a single-ended bulb and, you know, the HID and, you know, the biggest elephant in the room with that was heat. And that's the way everybody was always trying to mitigate that through ventilation or air conditioning. But with the uh, with the LED, I think the LED is great because it's, you know, those lights you saw are only 600 watts. So somebody who is thinking about okay, which flower am I going to buy, you know, indoor, sun-grown, you know, and people, when they're thinking about climate change and, you know, how much energy is used or whatever, like the switching to LED lighting, what has that done to the amount of power? I mean, I know it's way less, but like kind of percentage-wise, like how has that changed your electric bill? Well, so I was saying earlier is like the lady that owned the business previously, um, they basically had, I think they had like 40 lights down here, vented hoods, and then they had 20 upstairs that they vegged under. So that's 60 lights. And basically I have like 180 and I pay less than they paid whenever they just had the 60 legacy technology. And so it's, it's saved us quite a bit of money. But, you know, like I said earlier, the, the elephant in the room with LED is humidity. So you, what money you might be saving on lighting, you're probably spending in dehumidification or air conditioning to try to combat that problem. But I don't know. I think, I think LED is a much more efficient way to do business. I think you're going to get a better product out of it. I mean, I'll be honest with you, the, the homogeneity of the light versus like there being hot spots here and there on a HID is, is nice because you're getting a more even product all the way around. It's not like, Oh, we got to move these plants because they're getting burnt because they're in the middle, you know? So it's nice. I enjoy the new technology. I don't really love like, I guess for me, I mean, obviously with as many plants as we have, I, I'm not going to be able to hand water them every day, but that's the kind of thing I would rather do instead of having irrigation because I feel like a lot of things are lost 
when you're not like in there walking the rows or you're not in there every day, like looking at them, doing this, that and everything. Cause like I said, I just have a thousand other things I have to do that don't have to do with growing weed to keep the business going. And so it's, it's tough, but I try to, you know, like you saw the one room we defanned it. Like that's, we only do that once we used to do it twice, but now I just have the guys go in between week three and four and do that. And then I'll be like, Hey, did you see anything? Is there any hot spots or any problem areas we need to deal with? But I, like I said, I do um, IPM once a week. Um, and it's nothing crazy. We usually use like a safer soap, like basically insecticidal soap or uh, citric acid. And that's all I use. I don't really spray Azagard or pyrethrins or any of that stuff because I feel like it's a, it's a waste of money. I mean, unless you're like having a really acute problem or it's a really small garden, then yeah, use those products because they're going to be great. But if you're trying to do like an industrial commercial grow like we are, a lot of that stuff, you're going to use it. You're going to blast through it. And so the citric acid, in, uh, if you use it three days in a row at like a medium concentrate, it'll kill everything in a room. Take the guesswork out of your cannabis shopping with the ECS DNA kit by Endocana Health. I did this years ago, and it continues to empower me to get nerdy with my cannabis choices. Right now, you can save 25% off your DNA test at endodna.com using promo code POD25. Your purchase includes the EndoDNA Collection Kit, EndoDecoded Report, personalized cannabinoid and terpene suggestions, EndoAligned product matching in your state, suggested dosage guidelines, and optimum methods of administration. Once you know your personal ECS data, you can shop Endo supplements tailored specifically for you. And right now, EndoDNA is celebrating their new patent with a BOGO offer on their Effica Soft Gels lineup. Since so many of you struggle with sleep, I want to highlight Effica Unwind created to support healthy sleep cycles using a patented proprietary formulation of hemp-derived CBD, terpenes, and essential oils. If sleep is eluding you, sweet dreams are made of this. So buy one, get one, my friend. You can shop online at endodna.com. And don't forget promo code POD25 at checkout to save 25% on your DNA test kit. Have you ever used or considered um, worm castings or the worm tea? Oh, yeah. Well, you might have saw it upstairs next to the, where the water was dripping in that bucket. There was a bucket of tea there. So we make tea every time we transplant. I make a tea, and then we add nutrients to that tea mix and then feed them. So basically the first time they get fed, they're inoculated. And uh, it, so it just, that's basically the most organic I get now. Is your tea, is it a worm-based? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. It's, uh, it's got, you know, uh, I usually use like a catalyst from Earth Juice, um, a bat guano. We, I use an organic calcium magnesium supplement. Okay. Uh, it's made by Earth Juice as well. It's called Oily Can. And then uh, I use just a regular um, earthworm castings. And then, you know, have you ever seen the mosquito dunk bites, bits? You know what mosquito dunks are? No. So you put these mosquito dunks, they do it in like farms. So you can just throw it in water and it won't let the fungus gnats and the mosquitoes breed in the water. It's a bacillus thurogenesis. Okay. It kills everything in there. So I brew with that because we have 
we do have instances of uh, fungus gnats. And so they're related to mosquitoes. And so basically it works on them the same way it works on mosquitoes. So we brew that tea. I brew it with the thorogenesis in it. And then when we feed, that's inoculated into the root zone. So that if there are fungus gnats trying to lay eggs or get into the soil, there's a good chance it probably won't happen. Now, and when you do that, are you hand Yes. Watering and spraying. So, yeah, all those. So, my both of my mom rooms downstairs, the mom room upstairs, and then that room you saw all the plants crammed into, everything's hand fed. Nice. Now, you know, you were talking about with the LED lights, like the humidity is the thing. I think when you said maybe 45 gallons of water oh, gets yeah. pulled I mean, off of there. Yeah, like in like the big rooms, I'm pulling 60 to 80 gallons a day out of that room. And then you're getting to reuse that. Yeah, so water. basically, yeah, we so. take the water, most of our water runs back into my water filtration. We reclaim all that, most of it. There's some of it I don't reclaim, but. Well, but, you know, that I mean, that's something that can make people feel better about the whole Oh, yeah, yeah. Situation. I mean, I, I had them strictly do that because I was like, well, if we're going to have all these dehumidifiers, why don't we just put it back into where we're collecting water and treat it, and then I can use it again. So it's nice. I, I enjoy being able to recycle. It makes me just feel, because I don't think growing weeds very green. Maybe if you're doing it regeneratively and you're outdoors and you're not using a lot of electricity and a bunch of nutrients and sprays and shit. But uh, I just find that indoor growing or any growing outside of that is not very green. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and that's, of course, I lived somewhere where I could just dig my heels in and say, I'm only smoking full-term sun-grown. But then when you don't live in that place, you have to be like, well, if I want my medicine. Beggars can't be choosers. That's right. Yeah. Is there anything else that you think a grower an indoor grower who's trying to refine finesse what they're doing what would they ask you right now that I haven't because you know that's not me right well I just <laughs> think there's you know it's pretty basic it's K-I-S-S keep it simple stupid like the more things you throw in the more factors you're going to have to figure out when things go wrong so basically I mean all we run is can I A and B CalMag and a PK and I mean and I rarely and I run everything super low uh, I just find that a lot of times people are like, oh, we got to add this and this and this. It's going to be great. And the terpenes and all oh, the resonator and all these products. And they're just basically Epsom salt and water. And so, you know, people don't get that. They don't look at the ingredients. They're like, oh, it says resonator on it. And you look at it and it's magnesium sulfate. And it's like, bro, just go to Kmart, get you a six-pound bag for $5 and dump it in the water. But, you said Kmart. I haven't thought about Kmart <laughs> since I was a little kid. <laughs> uh, we don't have that here, but you had Kmart where I'm from. But, yeah, so anyway, I just think that I think less is more. And the, the more streamlined, efficient, and simple you can keep a grow, the better off you're going to be. Because the less inputs you have, the less you have to worry about. And I, I find that just with people need to, if you're trying to get good at indoor growing, find what works for you and stick with it and refine it. You know, don't be like, oh, I'm going to try this line. Oh, I'm going to try this line because there's a thousand lines out there to try and everybody's trying to sell you a product. And you got to remember most of them are 95% water. So you're buying water. So a lot of people like my business partner down in Denver, they use salts. But I've tried that, and I hate it. Well, it's, no. It's I gross. Mean, that's, that's not what, like, salts in our soil is Yeah. Well, good. and that's the thing with them, and uh, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to say it. Um, down there, I find, you know, you smelled all of our strains, and they all smell unique. They're unique to themselves. You go down there, and all their weed smells the same. It looks the same, smells the same, because you're using 
a product that isn't trying to enhance the qualities and the chemotype of the flower versus just, oh, we're going to feed it as cheaply as possible so we can get some weed and sell it. You better not tell him that you've recorded this podcast. I'm not. <laughs> so, but anyway... <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, I've told them that. I've told them because they bring me. They've brought me down there a couple times because they come up here and see what we're doing. And you know, it's nice to just have other people to that know what they're talking about to bounce ideas off of. Because honestly, I just feel like I'm on an island up here. I yeah. Mean, outside of the kids that I work with, I don't really talk shop with anybody. You know. So. Yeah. Well, and that's what I find as a podcaster, and you know, I'm in Oakland. The world's locked down, and I'm literally by myself have no one to bounce anything off of. And you're just like, um, I'm about to publish this. I don't have any source of reference as to, you know, whether or not anybody else is going to appreciate this. But, um, so yeah, it's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of or tell you if you're crazy or, yeah, yeah or, that's or, actually a decent idea. Like keep going with that. Where, or like, like, Hey, walk into a room and be like, yo, what are you doing in here? You know, cause you see the same thing over and over and you don't, you know, it's almost like being nose blind, but you're sight blind to it because you just see it all the time. And so it's good. I, I enjoy having somebody come in and critique me. So once I did a show with Stephen Halpern, and he's the godfather of sound, healing, music. And, oh, okay. Like gong therapy? Um, or like the bowls? Like him creating music at certain Hertz levels. Oh, like and, 432 and all and, that. Jack. Yeah. And different ones and like having subliminal messaging, you know, healing messages. It's and, like you're playing the Sabbath record backwards. <laughs> and it's like worship the devil, worship <laughs> the devil. <laughs> yeah. Except exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> so if you go into a spa, if you're getting a massage, oftentimes the music that's playing might've been produced by Stephen Halpern. Wouldn't that be called like Muzak? If you were in an elevator, you could call it that. But no, yeah, that was the subscription that everybody had back in the day. Muzak is a music subscription. Oh, that was a subscription? Yeah. I thought it was just a type of music that (laughs) that a computer made and just played in the doctor's (laughs) office, you know? No. Somebody actually got paid to take all the words out of those songs. Interesting. Um, But anyway, one of the things we talked about was the study of how plants are sentient. And oh yeah, there's so like you can see people like putting the, those electrodes on them yeah. and stuff. Yeah. So, do you talk to your plants? Do you play music for them? Yeah. What's your relationship with your plants? Um, you know, if I talk to them, it's telepathically. Uh, I mean, I I don't think I talk to them. I mean, when I used to grow like at my house and I only had like twelve lights and it was really intimate, you know, maybe. But here it's you know I got eighteen hundred plants and flowers, so it's a little hard to be intimate with all of them. We do play music when we're in the rooms working, and I can't say I'm, like, playing music for them all the time. We did think about getting a Sonos system in here, so then that way, whenever anybody was in a room, they could just connect their phone to it. But then the market took a shit three years ago, and we didn't do that. Yeah, and I would also want to make sure that everyone on my staff, it's like, if you've got anger issues, you don't bring them into my grow rooms. That's right. Well, we're not listening to Limp Biscuit. That's right. (laughs) Ever. (laughs) Have you ever watched that Woodstock 99 documentary on Netflix? No. It's three parts. You should watch it. It's pretty good. Okay. And that, because you know what happened, right? They like that day that Limp Biscuit went on there and he's like, uh, they sang the song every break shit or whatever it's called. And then that's when the whole thing turned and it went to shit the next day. Cause that was when he did that show. That's when everybody was like, Rawr! 
you know. Yeah. It's interesting. You should watch the movie. The documentary is pretty good. That's such a vague memory to me. So, yeah, I will have to I didn't it. go. I was only 17. My parents Oh, I definitely go. wouldn't have gone. Uh, yeah. It I, looks terrible. When you watch the documentary, it's like, Jesus Christ, what were y'all doing? Like, what was the point? <laughs> like, it's just wet and just like, I don't know. I don't love festivals like I did when I was younger, but. I know. I was talking to my best friend from college about that. I'm living with her right now. And just like how we used to go to Rockfest and Lilith Fair and you spend like four days out doing whatever. Camping and like doing the whole thing. And now I'm like, um, if I can't be in bed by like 1030, I'm not sure I can go. You 1030 is late. I'm trying to be in bed by 830. You know what I mean? Well, you know, you, (laughs) I have been going to bed since I've been here around 830 because at five o'clock it is pitch black outside. And I'm like, oh, I should eat dinner and go night night. Yeah. So I've been getting like 10 hours of sleep. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's been good. I will say, though, I felt like a little discombobulated for the first, I don't know, 36 hours of being here. Feeling like headachey, a little. Oh, because you didn't drink enough water. Yeah. Dehydrated. Yeah, dehydrated. Yeah. That's usually what happens. My my mother and her husband, they they can't come out here because my mom like has a headache the whole time. And it's I wonder if she's just bullshitting me, but, you know. Well, yeah, I put ionic minerals in my water, so I, yeah, Yeah. so liquid IV sort of thing. Mm, No, it's more like very specific. Oh, okay. Do you have somebody that makes you a comp like a? I yes. Oh, that's the rabbi in the town that I live in. He helps me get all my minerals. The rabbi. Uh huh. Okay. His name is Donald Maher. Um, but yeah, we just affectionately. Bill Maher. Like as in the the TV person? (laughs) No. But Rabbi has a contract with a company that the minerals come from the Great Salt Lake. And so there's uh, Myo2 is the hydration formula. Um, And then Formula 513 is the detox. Like you put Formula 513 in your water and you chug it, you're going to go shit your brains out. Interesting. Yeah. Have, Have you heard about what happened with the Salt Lake? The Great Salt Lake? No. So... I, I don't I don't have a lot of like hard evidence for this at the moment, but I, I know people that live there. I've gone there and done ayahuasca probably ten or twelve times. And so this Great Salt Lake is drying up. And so where it's drying up, it's causing these windstorms, like sandstorms, and it's blowing all these heavy metals and it's causing people to have like cancer and stuff. But I'm thinking because from the past when they were doing like iron smelting or whatever, I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I don't have like hard evidence for this, but I just have people there that told me that they're having a spike in like cancers and like uh like organ failure and stuff from heavy metal use because of the because of the drying up of the Salt Lake. Wow, I know it's kind of interesting, but yeah. I mean, I didn't mean to the get whole off track world there. is going to hell in a handbasket. I know. Just, just sit back, get the popcorn, watch it happen. Exactly. I tell people all the time, like this is the best movie I have ever watched in my whole life. It's like the Truman Show, The Matrix, and all of it wrapped into one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and people are waking up i'm feeling more and more people waking up well i think there's a lot of people that are kind of starting to see through the bullshit i mean you know the whole pandemic and all that jazz like i find that you know i think i have friends that are finally now three years later like oh maybe i shouldn't have done that maybe we shouldn't have called for everybody that lives here they shouldn't be able to go to the grocery store and they shouldn't be able to have electricity because I have I have a running group I lead on Tuesday mornings at 7 o'clock I'm one of the coaches I'm not the only one but I had a couple ladies in that group that were 10 years older than me 
tell me to my face that they thought if someone wasn't vaccinated, they shouldn't be able to have electricity. They should have the water cut off to their house. They should not be able to go out to the grocery store. You shouldn't be able to go to the post office. And I, and I basically told them, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You're Jewish. You sound kind of like you're a Nazi. So it was, they were both fair. They're both of Jewish descent. Not not being racist. I'm just saying, but I did say that to him. I was like, that sounds really fascist, but you know, that's just me. Yeah. But yeah. But so anyway, it's just funny because I have this meme on my phone that shows like the NPC character. Have you ever seen that? Where it's just like a regular face with like a, squ- like a triangular nose. And okay. it's like, uh, let's do the thing, you know, support the thing. And it has like one with two or three needles in it. It's got all this other stuff going on. And then uh, it's the guy says, I didn't mean what I said. The NPC saying that. And the guy, the guy standing there said, I meant every word of it. Because, you know, all these people told us that we shouldn't be able to do or go or be alive and now they're like well we're sorry well that's funny because i'm not hearing anybody say oh i haven't had anybody personally sorry. say that sorry but or, you but like you, tim robbins have you ever you heard about tim robbins like in the beginning he was calling for oh you should be able to work in hollywood and then he came out like a year ago and was like hey i was wrong and you don't see a lot of people in terms of like celebrity status or people in power admitting their failures because i think that just shows their weakness honestly it shows more character if you can stand up and say I was wrong and I'm changing my mind we need more people willing to stand up and do that so that we can normalize it because cancel culture is so rampant that I know people that didn't want to get vaccinated that were completely on the fence but mostly leaning not vaccination and like one of them was gifted a vaccine as her birthday present by a nurse like talk about peer pressure you know and <laughs> or about what about like my wife she worked for four seasons she was uh, the event planner for the four seasons here in Vail and uh they were trying to get her to get vaccinated and, and so basically I ended up getting I got it her and I both uh vaccination cards and so she took it to work and showed it to him and she didn't have to get a vaccine but she would have she was she didn't want to do it but she was like well I gotta do it to keep my job you know and and so I basically was like, nah, we ain't doing all that. So. Yeah. Well, one of my friends who worked at a hospital who had gotten vaccinated, she had a paper card. And I just kept that in my wallet. Because, you could print them offline. Well, I'm sure, but I yeah. wasn't even going to Google that kind of shit. Who right, gives right, it? right, 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 right. And my, of course, as always, my printer's broken. Well, you I know. had a friend of mine who's a doctor and he sent me 12 of them. He just put them in the mail and said, here you go. So. Well, so it worked for me for a minute, but then when you get to San Francisco, because I'm living in Oakland, and then, like, I had tickets to go to a, it was a Banksy art yeah. exhibit, and if you didn't have a digital vaccination card that they could scan, like, I, I couldn't go. Wow. See, they didn't get that crazy here. Oh, they yeah. Just, like, just... I paid for a ticket, but I wasn't allowed to get in. Well, there was a couple times during that period in time that... Uh, like in 2021 where they were like, uh, we, we bought tickets to go to a show and they said, you have to be vaccinated and you show up and they don't, they never asked us for our cards or yeah. anything. So, yeah, I had once I was sitting at the bar at a restaurant with my friend and like, they were totally harassing me cause I didn't have a card to get. I was like, ah, I'm sorry. I, we didn't think we were coming here. We we're out for a walk. I left my wallet at home and she was like, are you lying to me? And she just sat there staring at me, like trying Lady, to figure out. To break if, you. And then she finally was like, 
you know, I'm going against my better judgment here, but I'm going to let you stay. And after that, I was like, I want to fucking leave. You're like, you're like, yeah, well, COVID doesn't affect you under four feet. If I go sit at that table, I don't need a mask. <laughs> no, it's so Tell, silly. Make it make sense, please. Yes, please. Uh, well, we could go on and on about this we shit could, forever. Could. I appreciate your time, Nate. Now, it's Vale Valley. Cultivations. Cultivations. Yeah. Okay. You are on Instagram, but you keep a pretty low profile other than that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I'm just not very good at my own social media. Like, there's pictures on there, stuff that we've done, but it's probably a year old at this point. I yeah. just, I'm not I, very good at social media. Well, either. I just don't have a lot of employees, so I'm, I mean, I'm usually having to work versus like, I'm not good let's at take it some pictures I hate and it. filter them, you know, or some shit like that. But. Well, and the other thing, too, is you have to get creative in how you're spelling cannabis, now people are spelling cannabis with an at sign or, you Why? know, because are they the AI them? is, yes. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, so I'm on the board of the Texas Hemp Coalition. We have uh, our big event, the Texas Hemp Summit, coming up on December 8th and 9th. I posted something about get your early bird tickets. And there's a picture of a hemp farm along with a collage of other pictures. But I get in a message from Instagram telling me that it's not suitable content. And if somebody doesn't follow me directly, it won't, they won't be. They won't see it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just like, why do we even participate? It's just a waste of fucking time if you're in the cannabis industry and you're just spinning your wheels on social media. Well, I find if you have a brand, it works great. Like Juana or, you know, one of these big conglomerates that has like 20 or 30, like Native Roots. They have 25 stores. It's like Well, and they have a huge marketing budget. And they have a marketing team. Yeah. So. Because... Money can overcome a lot of these problems yeah, in yeah. this industry. I mean, that's what cured AIDS, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You've seen that South Park episode? Money. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. Um. <clears throat> oh, yes. So anyway, I'm just disenchanted with the cannabis industry in general. And so. Uh, it's a shame that, that it's come to that. But I, I agree with you and I understand your disenchantment because I. Like we were saying earlier, I feel like legalization just screwed it. So, and I think they're going to probably try to do the same thing to mushrooms. And honestly, I, I, I give it five years for them to introduce LSD, ecstasy, like any of that stuff, be like in a clinical setting. Because I know they're already doing some LSD microdosing in clinical settings. And one of my employees, he, he was getting—I don't know how he got it—but he had like a like a Groupon and he got uh, some ketamine kit. And he had like six doses and they gave him these glasses and these headphones and play this music. And, and so anyway, it's, it's, you know, they're trying to bring all that stuff mainstream, which is fine. But I feel like you're going to have a lot of people with psychotic breaks, you know, like not everybody can smoke weed. Not everybody can eat mushrooms. Not everybody. It's not, it's like the vaccine. It's not a one size fit all option. It's, you know, everybody's different. We're all the same, but we're very different. And so I just find that with all the legalization and the trying to introduce new substances to the community and society, I just feel like they're going to sully it and make everything worse. Yeah, they typically do. Um, I'm glad you brought up mushrooms. I'm curious, what is the market like here? I mean, now that we have a legal market uh, for kind of. Here. Um, they only decriminalized it in Denver. It's not the whole state. But they have the, I think they did the ethnogenic, like the ayahuasca, the peyote, the San Pedro. Entheogens, yes, I'm sorry, and mushrooms. Uh, I think they did do that because I have a friend that is in Denver. They have, it's the Church of the Sacred Heart, and they started a 
501c3 and they have like a coffee shop that's a mushroom coffee shop it's in denver county which is where you can do that Mm -hmm. and so they do ayahuasca ceremonies they do uh wakuma like a san pedro peyote ceremonies they do mushroom ceremonies they do all kinds of interesting stuff but i find like that is not what i'm into because i feel like they're so basically, I'll put it to you like this. When she started the church, you could go to do her ayahuasca with her for $300 for two nights. And now they charge $800 because they're a church. And, and so I find that that's, that's probably what's going to happen with a lot of this stuff is that things that might help people are going to be out of reach because yeah. of, you know, like you say, money can overcome a lot of problems. So. Well, and that is exactly what happens is they price out the people that really need it and so then the people that really need it are desperate and they either choose the wrong medication or you know they go mainstream big pharma and then of course they have one medication and then three more medications for the side effects of the first medication yeah, just like moderna came out they moderna and pfizer both bought companies that had a, had a myocarditis drug ready to go and so i wonder why you need that <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I just think that uh, things shouldn't be legalized because legalization just means taxation, and taxation is theft. And I personally just think if they're going to allow people to do do drugs, let's just say what it is, then they should just be decriminalized and you should be free reign. And then if you go psychotic because you took too many drugs, then you know, obviously you're going to pay the price for that. So, yeah. But I feel like that's, that's sort of a bad thing for society in general. It's because I don't think that they should make it available to everybody. You know, it should be some barriers to entry, but I don't know. Well, I mean, there's just such an education gap because we only receive the information. The good stuff. That they want us to be fed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if somebody is not curious and they don't know how to find reputable alternative news sources and information, then you don't know. No, you're just fed the line that says, oh, mushrooms are good. It's going to make you not be depressed anymore. And, you know, and then everybody's like, oh, let's eat some mushrooms. Well, and, you know, so I can say for certain, like, cannabis is a medicine for me. Mushrooms, I'm kind of hit or miss with them. A lot of times the way I move energy with mushrooms is yawning. Or or your stomach hurts. Well, stomach totally hurts. But... I've also learned some of the things pairing a mushroom with a fat that's helps, you know, make it more active or activate it in your system. I mean, if that's what you're trying to do, not like drinking alcohol, but like an extract, like a a tincture. tincture, Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, you do go balls out. So I had to look at you to determine which way you're going with that. (laughs) But yeah, just, you know, experimenting, but me constantly going back to like, my body always feels soothed or relieved from whatever whenever I consume cannabis and with mushrooms one of my friends in California she hand grinds the cacao she gets the mushrooms from somebody who's you know a conscious grower of mushrooms and there's like 30 ingredients in her mushroom chocolate to make sure it has a quick onset to make sure that you don't get that stomach ache to make sure you have a cool come down and and so yeah you have to find the right medicine like a blend. For you. Yeah. Yeah. And I haven't done ayahuasca yet. I'm not sure I need to purge um, well, it's and not have just that, that experience just to come back to the, oh, it's all love and we're all one. I'm like, I already know that. Cannabis taught me that. So, you know, right. 
ayahuasca can be a good medicine if you you know have a lot of things you need to purge out of your system. But I've been doing the work for like 15 years, so. Well, I wouldn't say I have to purge a lot of things. <laughs> I just I I started doing it like 10 or 12 years ago, and I don't know. I just find that it's a for me it's a good mental reset. I mean, it's so different than anything I ever do in my entire life that those two days or the three days that I'm doing it, like once I come back to my reality, you know, there's a lot of integration and a lot of things that you have to kind of like work into your life that you've, you get from it. Not every time's like, you know, like, whoa, man, you know, it's not always like that. I mean, sometimes you don't have a remarkable experience. Sometimes it's just sitting in the darkness with the music and with people around you and just kind of vibing that way. But, you know, I, I, for me, it's not so much like a purge or, like I'm trying to clean myself out. It's just more of a, for me, it's more of a mental flush. Like okay. as in I, I kind of, my brain functions. I feel like fresher when I'm done doing All right. it. So. so how often a year do you do this? It's four to six times. And so whenever I, cause I've done homework on it, but I also wanted to go to like Peru and. Yeah, I've know, done it in Costa Rica uh, probably six or eight times, but most of the, most of the time I've done it here in the United States now. And there's like, you know, someone to hold space and you have a shaman that, you know, yeah, however that, you want to call it. I find it. that it's a shaman, but I find that, uh, that's, that's like what I was saying about the church down in Denver, like why I don't just sit with them anymore. Cause I don't dig the vibe. I feel like it's a money game. I feel like, Oh, we're just here to collect your cash and tell you how good everything is, you know? And, but so it, it's, it's really specific. And I think that if you are going to do it, you really should trust the person you're going to sit with or have faith that they're going to hold space. Cause I mean, you know, things like I, one time I was in Costa Rica, the third, I did a three day, first time I ever did it. Third night I was there. Some dude was from the U S army and he had PTSD and then he like drank like three cups. And the next thing you know, they had to like stop the ceremony. He got up, ran into the jungle and they had to go get him. And like, it's, it's like, you know, there's some crazy shit happens. Like it's, and that's the other thing is people are always like, oh, I want to go to ayahuasca. It's like, you got to remember you're in a room with 15 to 30 other people and they're all going through their own journey. This person over here might be throwing up. This person over here might be laughing. This person over here might be crying their face off. You know, so you got to be able to handle whatever is around you. And I find a lot of people that don't want to do it, I'm not saying this is you, but I find people that don't do it don't want to be out of control. Because I find that they think that they're going to be doing it and they're just going to be like, ah, you know, and yeah. it's not like that. So. You know, and that's interesting because I am a bit of a control freak by nature. Um, but I, I think that me doing the work of being a conscious human has yeah. made me way less of needing to be in control. But... I will say I'm never one of those people like, you know, when you start getting drunk and then you repeat a story that you had already said. And then right. it's like, oh, you, you told me that. That to me is my cue to go the fuck home. Now, it's not it's been a long time since I've gotten to that point. But I'm just like, if I'm there, I'm like, nope, it's time to Irish goodbye. Call a car and get my ass home because that's like, okay, I'm starting to be out of control if I've repeated a story to you while we're playing pool. But I do that when I'm sober. That's just like being a dad. You, know? like you just kind of don't have a lot going on. You know, I work and I hang out with my family. And so my wife will be like, you, you told me that already. I'm like, oh, all right. I need some, dad needs new material. That Got is, it. that's such a dad thing. I constantly would tell my dad, I, I know you've told me this story before. And my stepmom, I'll tell them both. Y'all told me this, y'all told me this. And they're like, well, we're going to tell you again. Right, right, right. It's a lesson. You need to learn it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, Nate, thank you so much for hanging out with me. This has been fun veering in and out of all kinds of 
topics that yeah, we Yeah, you ever want appreciate. me to come back and talk about other stuff? Let's do it. Well, you may have to come back whenever I have my new podcast that I'm working on that will be less cannabis-focused, more agriculture, personal sovereignty, purpose. but Autonomy, those sort of things. Yeah, yeah, those things that are really important. And, of course, cannabis is a part of that, but it's a small part of it. And the most important thing for me is to give a voice to the people that are actually growing the thing that is the foundation of this industry that is well, shitting the bed. Yeah, and they don't, there's no respect for the grower, like, especially at the dispensary level. They just want to, like, nickel and dime you. How cheap can you sell it to me? You know, and they yeah. don't care if you're in business or not. So. Well, and it's so sad because I thought that cannabis was finally going to be an industry that celebrated farmers. Because <laughs> I grew up in farming and ranching. They country. just celebrate money. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's all it is. It's just gangsters. It's all it was. Gangsters were doing it before. Gangsters are doing it now. Yeah. These are just gangsters in suit and ties. Exactly. Yeah. I will put out good wishes for a, a better future. <laughs> but yeah, of course. Of in course. the meantime, I'm probably just going to bow out of it for a while. I'm over it. Yeah. Well, it's nice that you have the option, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks for hanging out. Yes, is a high time. We had a high time. Casually Baked the Podcast was created, recorded, and produced by yours truly. Editing and sound design are in the capable hands of Jamie Humiston at PodConnects. The podcast theme music is by my highly talented friend, Seth Walker. If you aren't familiar with Seth's music, you can find High Time on his album, Gotta Get Back, wherever you're buying your music these days. I know he didn't create high time for me, but it sure as shit sounds like he did, right? I hope you'll tune in next time. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.